Hola amiga. I believe the only way to create a life of your dreams is by taking massive action that makes shit happen. Basically, amiga, handle your shit. Yes, I said that. Handle your shit. Stop playing small and start breaking down cultural limitations, gain back your feminine power, and become the unapologetic and unstoppable Latina you were destined to be. This show is meant to inspire, motivate, and awaken your soul's potential. You will learn from business professionals, successful entrepreneurs, and creatives that will teach you mental corrections, insider tips, success strategies, and of course, a dose of personal development. I am your host, Jackie Tapia, lawyer, transformational life coach, and entrepreneur. I am also a wife and mom to a little badass Latina. I'm obsessed with changing the Latina's mindset and breaking down cultural barriers so that you can live your best life and step into your true power and start living a life of abundance in all ways and always. Join me for inspiring conversations with thought leaders and learn how to handle your shit. ¿Estás lista? Vámonos. Hello, amigas. Welcome back to Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. I have the honor of interviewing this amazing author. Her name is Alka Joshi, and she has written two amazing books that we're going to be discussing today. So who is Alka Joshi? She was born in India and raised in the United States since the age of nine. She has a BA from Stanford University and an MFA from College of Arts. At age 62, Joshi published her debut novel, The Henna Artist, which immediately became a New York Times bestseller, a Reese Witherspoon book club pick was long listed for the Center for Fiction First Novel Prize and is being developed into an episodic series of Miramax TV. The sequel, The Secret Keeper of Japur, premiered this year, June 2021, and will be followed by the third book in the trilogy 2023. I have such an honor to interview her and a little bit about her books. The Henna Artist was set in the 1950s. The Henna Artist transports us back to India eight years after India's independence from the British Raj. Navigating us through the novel is our protagonist, Lakshmi Shastri. We meet Lakshmi as a 30-year-old henna artist and herbalist working for Japur's elite on the cusp of completing her dream house. The secret she's hiding behind her skillful artistry and healing powers is the marriage and abusive husband she deserted in a small village 13 years ago. So when the husband appears on her doorstep with a young girl, a sister Lakshmi didn't even know. Her hopes for her independent future are threatened as Lakshmi grapples with including two new people into her carefully laid plans. She has to balance her desire for success with a yearning for familial responsibility. And in her second book, which is 
equally amazing. It's called The Secret Keeper of Jaipur. Alka Joshi's captivating sequel to The Henna Artist exposes corruption and black market dealings in 1969 India. Lakshmi, the herbalist of the first book, sends her protege Malik to intern at the Jaipur Palace while taking his new love, a young widow, under her wing in Shimla. When the royal cinema in Jaipur collapses on open at night, Malik sets out to uncover the graft. The novel affirms the seeking truth is wholly worthwhile endeavor. Wow. I am excited to have her here on Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast, and you're going to adore these two books. You're going to adore her because she's such an amazing soul and has an incredible story, and she's here with us today. With further ado, this is Alka Joshi. Hello, 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 amigas, and welcome back to Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. And amigas, just like my introduction earlier, I have the most amazing guest. Her name is Alka Joshi, and she's written two amazing books that I'm so excited for us to share here on the Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. Now, I met, well, not physically met her, but through a book club that I belong to, she's been so gracious to come in and talk about her books. And it was so exciting to know that she would be interviewed here today, amigas. And so I'm excited to have her here and let's get started. This woman is amazing and I can't wait for you all to know more about her. So Alka, welcome, welcome so much to Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. Thank you, Jackie. I'm excited to be here. Oh God, what what an honor, what an honor. So Alka, Please tell us. So you read two books and I know there's a third one in the mix. So I'd like to take each one. But before that, I always ask my guests about their familial background, because in my opinion, it really is super important to know where you came from in order to understand who you are today. So please, please tell our listeners, I read that uh, you were born in India, but then you came to the States. So why don't you, you know, give us the 411 on that. I was born in 1958 in the state of Rajasthan in India. And before I was nine years old, we had moved to five different cities within that state and also outside of that state. The reason being that my father was one of those new breed of engineer who was helping rebuild India after independence, after the colonizers from Britain had left. So there was so much that needed to be done in India. The citizens wanted to have their own ideas about how they were going to educate the children, what kind of industries they wanted to focus on developing, how they wanted to build their buildings, all kinds of things roads and dams and bridges and universities, everything needed to be built after the British left. So my father was one of those and he was constantly being promoted from city to city. So we were always moving as a young family from city to city. Now, in 1967, he decided, look, I have a master's, I'm going to get a doctorate now in my field, and he wanted to do a particular kind of research, so we end up at Iowa State University in Ames, Iowa, 
in the United States. Now, I was nine. My brothers were 11 and eight. I'm the middle child. And all of a sudden, we came from a place where we look like everybody else to a place where we look like nobody else. And so we are in classrooms where we're the only brown people. And people don't know what to make of us. Because remember, in 1967, there were so many Americans who had never traveled outside of America, much less outside of their own state. So when we said we were from India, they would say, oh, is that somewhere near Texas? And they would say, why do you have an accent? You know, and, you know, we didn't realize that we had an accent because we came from a place where that was the way English was spoken. And so we learned very quickly as kids to convert our accent accent into more of the American accented English. And then they would ask us questions like, you know, why did we have a tan? And where did we get our tan? And, you know, they had not seen so many brown people. It was so interesting to us. We were bewildered at how little they knew about the rest of the world. And then other things that they asked us about led me to actually be ashamed of where I was from because they would ask questions like, why are there so many poor people in India? Why do you have so many illiterate people there? What are you doing about all of that? Why is India such a backward place? Why are the streets so dirty? Why do you worship cows? All of these questions that, you know, as a child being raised in a middle-class family, I had no idea how to answer any of these questions. And no child should be asked these kinds of large questions that they don't know how to answer. So I grew up really confused. I had come from a country where I had enjoyed myself. I had friends. I had gone to school. And then I suddenly come to a country where everybody's telling me I come from a backward place. So I think a lot of immigrants have this kind of experience where all of a sudden as a child, I felt so embarrassed and I didn't want to be Indian anymore. I wanted to be just American. So my brothers and I, we told my mom, look, we are just going to eat American food. We're going to talk like Americans. We're going to dress like Americans. No more of this curry business because we end up smelling a certain way that nobody is used to. And nobody wants to sit next to us on the bus. Nobody wants to sit next to us in classes. So you see, we actually disavowed our heritage. And I do think that this happens to a lot of immigrant children. So I totally sympathize with them. I empathize with them. I completely understand where that comes from. But as I grew older and I started talking to my parents more about why do we do it this way? Why is India what it is today? You know, why are there people illiterate uh, still in a country that has so many professors and doctors and engineers and lawyers that they send abroad? So as I learned more and more about the history, the real history of my country, my birth country, I started to gain such an appreciation for the rich and intensely ancient culture that India is. You know, it's just like any of our older cultures that we come from. You know, they have lent so much to the new world. The ancient cultures is where the new world derived all of its philosophy, all of its energy to keep growing, keep developing. And the old world still has so much to offer. So as I started writing my books, 
I started talking about all of these old world traditions that are still practiced today by South Asians and that I think still have so much to contribute to the modern world. And these are traditions like the art of henna, which is a very soothing and calming practice. The art of herbal remedies, which I know are still practiced in many ancient cultures throughout the world. You know, instead of taking a sort of foul smelling medicine, my mother would tell us to chew some fennel seeds if we had indigestion. She would make a poultice of turmeric and coconut oil and put it on our scrapes and hurts and burns when we were growing up because it helps take down the inflammation and it helps to soothe and heal. These are things that ancient cultures know that the new world doesn't even recognize or appreciate. And I wanted to bring so much of that into my books. So really my books, The Henna Artist and The Secret Keeper of Jaipur and the third book, which is yet to be titled, these books are really about telling the world that the South Asian culture comes from a very ancient culture with very resilient people that have maintained their older traditions while incorporating whatever the new world has to offer them that is beneficial to them. And look at how they have survived today and how they are thriving today. Oh my God, you... Okay, now you're my sister from another mister because, amiga, <laughs> this is exactly, I mean, to the T of my culture as well. I mean, I, I'm not, I was born here in the States. However, I grew up as if I were born in Mexico because when my family came to this country, they didn't know any English. And I certainly didn't know until I started school. And, you know, when you were talking about shame, oh my God, I remember being shamed as a little girl because I brown, the only brown kid in the class as well. Right. And it's incredible, like just the same, the synchronicities of your life to my life. I just love it. And I know amigas out there can definitely relate to this. Having to feel like an outsider, even though, you know, in your heart, like, no, I belong here, right? Yeah. Yeah. Even though as a kid, you know, you're like, I'm just a kid. You know, I like the same things you like. You know, I like to play. I like to read. I like to watch TV. I'm just the same as you. Why are you treating me so differently? Right. right, Exactly. And so, you know, as you are growing up, then you start to like, okay, try to change to culturize. Right. Yeah. You try to mimic the white behavior, if you will. Yes. And, and then, but then something brings you back and honor your culture because it's so beautiful. Right. Yes. yes. Uh, and sometimes that can take decades. And I, I don't fault anybody who has sort of abandoned their culture in favor of the white culture because somehow we are all led to believe as little kids that the white culture is the better culture. And I really think that we need to, at the same time, balance out that kind of viewpoint with, wow, what has our culture brought to the white culture that they are using today or adapting to today that we can be really proud of? Right, exactly. Oh, my goodness. So we got a lot to unpack, my my lady. (laughs) Oh, my God. Hello, amigas. Welcome. Amiga Handler Your Shit podcast. So... I went back to the drawing board, 
and we're getting ready to launch the Amiga Way Academy for the fall 2021. And so what is this? What is the Amiga Way Academy? This is the academy where you'll learn my four plus step formula on how to handle your shit, amigas. Yes, you're going to learn tangible ways, techniques that can transform the way you think, the way you problem solve by asking deeper questions that lead to abundance and epic, amazing solutions. You'll gain some clarity, some certainty, and definitely a lot of community. And you will not only feel all these things, but I promise you, amigas, when you come out of this amazing academy, you're going to live a more clear life, more abundance, more epic alignment. You will see. You're probably going to say like, well, I don't know. I don't know. Well, let me tell you something. I'll give you three reasons to be a part of my free webinar. One, doesn't hurt to try new things. Two, it's free. Three, you will become abundantly clear that this is a must-have in your life. So amigas, there's three free webinars and they will be occurring August 31st, September 2nd, September 3. There are various times and some are in the afternoon. And of course, this is specific standard time because I live in California. So we'll start with these webinars. And I promise you, by the time you finish this free webinar, you're going to be wanting to be a part of the Amiga Way Academy. So like I said, there's three opportunities, August 31st, September 2nd, September 3rd. Yes, amigas, we're getting into the fall. Wow. You know, this will be late summer, but it'll be a six session program that is going to be for 90 days. But you're going to get to learn everything about it through these free webinars. So all you have to do is hit the link and I'll see you in later this month. So I know from your bio that you worked for about 30 years in advertising and commercials and whatnot, but then you decided to be a writer. So how did that come about? Well, you know, all of those years that I was writing commercials and writing radio spots, what I didn't realize is I was actually writing mini stories. I was writing stories that only lasted a minute or half a minute or sometimes even only 15 seconds. And I was learning how to write dialogue all of those years. In radio, that's what it's all about. It's all about characters and dialogue and talking to one another. And then at the same time, you're trying to sell a product or a service. And uh, in commercials, you are always trying to entertain while selling a product or a service. And so I learned how to do that over all of those years. I think that it was great training ground for learning how to write fiction. So my husband, the whole time that I was uh, in advertising, he kept saying, you know, you make up stories about people all the time. Do you realize you do that? You know, we're waiting in line at the movie theater and I'm starting to make up stories about the people 
10 rows ahead of us, or we are at a restaurant and I'm starting to make up stories about the people, uh, you know, at the table next to us. And he said, I think you could really write long form fiction. I would just say, no, no, I, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm just an advertising hack. I'm not really a real writer. I'm not a literary writer. You know, that's kind of how I thought to myself. Uh, But then in 2008, there was this recession. And what it meant was that my advertising and marketing business slowed down every time there was an economic recession. So I would make use of that time by learning something new or reading or traveling or whatever. And so I decided during 2008 recession, I was going to enroll in a two-year program in writing. I was finally going to take my husband's advice. And as I did that, I was also spending a lot of time with my mother, both here in America and in India, because we were going back and forth. We were staying at a condo that my brother had bought. And so we were meeting up with friends and family and going to mom's old haunts. And I realized Uh, that from her perspective, India was a beautiful place, that from her perspective, which I had never considered, she loved all of the things that India had to offer, the foods, the fruits, the jewelry, the saris, the colors, the flowers, the vibrancy was there. And I saw through her eyes how beautiful it was. So that's when I started writing about India. I had no idea I would ever end up writing about India, this culture that I had disavowed for so long. But that was in the end, what is really part of my DNA. It is so much a part of my DNA. I have grown up in that culture in my house. So how can I disregard it? And uh, when I started writing about it, all of the, you know, Hindi words, it was my first language, just like I'm sure Spanish was your first language. You know, these words start coming back to me. The idea of all of the foods that my mother was making all of those years, that came back to me. The way that we always step out of our shoes before we enter a household so that, you know, we don't track dirt in from the outside, bad karma in from the outside into our home. These are all things that I still do in my life. And it was really fun for me to start writing about all of that. Um, Well, you certainly did an amazing job of it. Oh, my God. So let's get started with the first book, which is The Henna Artist. And you were saying that you were going back and forth with your mom and back to India and explaining about the vibrancy and the culture, the food, the jewelry. And I know when you're in this book, there's one particular character, which I find that the protagonist and her name is Lakshmi Shastri. And is there any resemblance to your mom? Like who, who? Yes. Lakshmi, is she your mom or is she you? Oh, Jackie, she's a combination of mom and me. So she looks just like my mother. She has my mother's uh, light blue green eyes. And I know that you can't tell because we're just on Zoom right now, but I have blue gray eyes from my mother. And my younger brother ended up with green eyes from my mother. So in the henna artist, Lakshmi and her sister Radha and you know their relatives, they have these light eyes that they keep passing down through generations 
generations. So Lakshmi looks like my mother. She has my mother's resilience. She has my mother's patience in working with all of these women who consider themselves better than her. She has patience to not say anything while they are hurling, you know, unkind remarks at her. And it's a patience that I don't have. I never had my mother's patience. I really have had to learn uh, patience with myself because I always want things done tomorrow, you know, things done today, things done yesterday. I just, I need to have everything uh, done right away. So what is resembling me in Lakshmi is her savvy in business. My mother never had the opportunity to start her own business, although I think she was perfectly capable of it. I started my own business. And then in the corporate world, you know, I had to navigate all of these obstacles that women run into. There's the obstacle of money. Am I getting paid as much as the male counterparts? There's the obstacle of being taken seriously. You know, when I'm at a conference table and people are brainstorming ideas and I throw out my hand with an idea and it gets completely ignored. And then a man, three seats down, says the same thing and everybody thinks it's a brilliant idea. I'm like, hey, I already said that, you know, but you can't say that in a large meeting. So, um, you know, that is an obstacle just to be recognized, just to be seen. Uh, And then, of course, there is the self-esteem issue when a woman is in the workplace like that, and especially surrounded by a lot of men as there are in advertising. So, um, you know, I was up against these men who were saying, oh, you know, you're not as good as the rest of these guys here. So there's a lot of that kind of, it's very slight, but it wears away at your self-esteem. All these these, uh, ways in which they will make sexual innuendos. They will put their arm around you and it's an unwanted gesture. It's not something you ever asked for. There's a lot of playfulness. They consider it playfulness. I consider it sort of a um, joke at my expense. You know, I had to navigate all of that, just like Lakshmi has to navigate that in her life as a henna artist and an herbalist in her business. So she's a combination of mom and me. And that is why I'm so close to Lakshmi. Yes, I, I can totally tell because I'm like, oh my God. Okay, so Lakshmi, Amiga's out there. She's the protagonist in the henna artist. And it's, oh my God, you're going to love her because this is an Amiga that is handling her shit. Like literally, <laughs> she is. <laughs> Definitely. And I love that. She's my favorite character because, you know, I can completely see myself in her. And I know that a lot of amigas out there can see themselves in her because she's, you know, making shit happen by uh, creating a business from something that she's so talented in, which is the henna and catering to these rich elite women. And then the drama ensues. And that is super like, you know, Mexican style telenovela. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, I have I have had so many readers compare it to telenovelas, especially because, you know, now with three books, it feels like three seasons of a telenovela with oh, the same characters. Yes, I love that. And and I mean, I know amigas out there are going to resonate with that because, I mean, we all grew up with telenovelas. That is our thing. You, we Mexicans, Latinos are known for that. So this book, these books in particular, you're going to love and identify with these characters because it's definitely a telenovela. And I hear that it's been picked up by Miramax. 
Yes, so Miramax TV, along with Michael Edelstein Productions and Frida Pinto, are executive producing the Henna Artist as a TV series. Now, you know, when it came time to be approached by all of these movie companies who said, we'd like to buy the option to turn this into something, I didn't know what to do. I was like, okay, you know what, Amiga, you got to handle your shit here. You've got to find out for yourself how you work in this space now. Because I am dealing now as an author in spaces I've never been in before, but the only way to arm yourself is with information. So you talk to everybody you can and you say, okay, explain to me what happens now. Explain to me how I come out ahead in this equation. And this is something that all women have to learn how to do. You cannot wait for somebody else to come to you and explain everything to you. You go to the experts and say, you explain this to me now. So I went to my literary agent and I said, who is the best person for me to talk to about all of these things that I'm being approached with now? And she said, ah, we have a screen management agency we work with in Hollywood, and we want to make sure that you are connected to Hollywood, not just Bollywood, because Hollywood is a global empire, right? In Hollywood, once you can say that you are doing well in the um, screen adaptation space in the United States and in Canada, you are going to be big everywhere. So They signed me up with a screen management agency in Hollywood whom they knew really well. And once again, I get to work with another amazing woman, uh, the CEO, Ellen Goldsmith Vane. And Ellen Goldsmith is very well known in Hollywood. She's been there forever. She's produced a lot of shows and she represents authors like me. So she said, first thing that she asked me, the most brilliant question, do you want the henna artist to be a movie or a TV series? I said, telenovelas. <laughs> yes. 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 Oh. I said that I wanted this to be a TV series that is streaming on one of these major platforms because I want to follow these characters. I'm in love with these characters, right? And when you, as an author, fall in love with your characters, you are very curious to make sure that, you know, you, you're careful to make Make sure that somebody else who wants to adapt this into a TV or a movie is going to stay true to your intention about these characters, that they're not changing them into something they're not. So I said TV series. I want it to be bingeable because I love bingeable TV shows. And I wanted to go on season after season after season. She said, okay. So she went back to everybody. Like she didn't fight me on it. She didn't say, oh no, I don't think so. She said, great. She went back to all of the proposers and said, this is what the author wants. So that is what we got back in all the proposals. And I chose, I got to choose Jackie because by now I had informed myself enough about how to make a good decision on this. I chose the team of the Miramax people. And Michael Edelstein used to run NBC Universal Studios in London when Downton Abbey was being filmed. He's responsible largely for the seven extra seasons that it kept going on for and the movies that now are done. And so he's a good businessman. And when he sees a product that he can keep going for several seasons, that's something he's interested in. When he read The Henna Artist, he told me, 
I could turn this into an Indian Downton Abbey. That's how this could be. And then he called up his friend, Frida Pinto, whom he knows personally, and said, Frida, I want you to read this and tell me what you think. She called him back and said, hey, not only do I want to play Lakshmi, I want to executive produce this with you. So that's kind of how all of that came about. And I feel, Jackie, that when you are armed with information and you're making the best decisions for yourself, everything will come to you. Things will come to you you never even expected. I never expected somebody like Frida Pinto to be playing Lakshmi, but she's going to be phenomenal at it. Oh, God, yes. Oh, I could totally see that happening. Oh, my Lord. Wow. You know, I love what you're saying. Arm yourself with information, right? And I think that you can't wait by the sidelines. You just have to go seek it out. Seek it out. That's the thing about handling your shit. You got to go seek it out and find out what's the best resource, who are the best people, the most informed. And you did that. You did that. Yeah. So, you know, when I am approached by young writers and they've written a manuscript and now they want to know where to go next, they are oftentimes just wanting to send that manuscript out and have somebody tell them whether it's good or not. And they are just starting from scratch, you know, so they are going to the whole list of agents and they're just uh, sending it out to 50 people. I think that in uh, making yourself more informed about what this business is about, what you really need to do is, let's say you're writing about vampires. You need to go look at other books that were written about vampires. You need to see who published them. In the acknowledgement section, you'll always find who the editor was at the publishing house, the different folks they work with, and then they're thanking their agent. So go to those people because they already are familiar with the genre that you're writing in and go to those people and say, I've written this book and it is like yours, but different in this way, Uh, like the other one that you published, but different in this way, like the other one you represented, but different in this way. So that's what I mean about arming yourself with information. You really need to be the person who is making things happen for yourself. Yes, there are people who will help you along the way. And yes, there are people you can ask and say, "Okay, I need help here. Where should I go next? But don't expect anyone else to just come in and rescue you. You know, one of the things, Jackie, that used to drive me crazy about all of those Disney movies is that there was always a knight in shining armor who came and rescued the princess. And it used to make me nuts because I thought there are no knights in shining armor. There is only you. There is you. There is what you're capable of. There is what you want to do in your life. And you need to always keep that intention in front of you and go for that. That's the important thing. There is nobody coming to rescue you. You need to do that for yourself. Oh, my God. No kidding. No one is coming to rescue you. You need to do it for yourself. Absolutely. I complete 1000 degrees. I mean, really, really. Oh, my goodness. And so you... This is a piece of art. Like, this is just so beautiful. And then also your sequel, which was The Secret Keeper of Jaipur, which, I mean, it's just a continuation of a character, Malik. And I'm like, oh, my God. And there's going to be more? (laughs) There's going to be more? Let me tell you this interesting thing, Jackie, that happened in 2019 when I went to India. 
I was on one of those trams that takes you from one terminal in New Delhi to another. And I was actually getting ready to leave India because I'd already been there for three weeks. We had traveled to five different cities and I was interviewing people. I was interviewing people about, you know, young people about their lives today versus the 1950s that I had written about in The Henna Artist. As we were on this tram, I noticed that there was an Indian gentleman there. You know, it was it was mostly filled with it, with Indians. There was an Indian gentleman about 40 years old, and he was sitting next to this other Indian woman. And they were obviously friends. They were chatting and having fun. And he was reading her palm. And I was sitting right near them. And I said, hey, you want to read my palm? And I had him uh, look at it. And his eyes got really big and he looked at me and he goes, wow, amazing things are about to happen to you. Now, this was about eight months before the henna artist was released. Okay, and at that time, another interesting thing happened. Uh, My publisher said, you know, we want you to come to New York. We want you to come to Toronto. We want you to meet with some big booksellers. We just want you to talk to a lot of our staff about what you're doing. And even then, I did not realize that they were planning on The Hannah Artist to be a really big book. I didn't know that there were all these people around me who were also really loving this story and wanting this story to succeed. So um, so I go to all of those places. And uh, by then, I had also started writing The Secret Keeper of Jaipur. So I had about 20 pages written and I sent it off to my agent and she said, I'm sending this to the publisher because these are pretty refined. And I said, oh, but I don't know where the story is exactly going to end up. And she said, don't worry about it. She sends it off. And my publisher bought The Secret Keeper of Jaipur before the henna artist was even out in the bookstores and the libraries. Isn't that amazing? Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) He was right. He was so right. Yeah, he was so right. And I think I've always been so intent in making sure my life turns out the way I want it to be that I don't realize there's a lot of other people pulling for me as well, that there are people all around us who are sort of our angels, Mm -hmm. our spirit guides, people who are helping us make our dreams happen. Like, I want to make this distinction. We cannot just rely on them to make it happen for us. But if we're making things happen for us, you can bet that there are so many people around us who are also wanting that to happen for us. Wow. Yes. I always say things are happening for us, never to us. And oh. it's so true. It is so true. Oh, I like that. I cannot uh, take credit, full credit, because I heard this from Tony Robbins, but, <laughs> but it's my mantra. You know, things are happening for you, never to you. And so, you know, what you're saying is that people are pulling you. The spirit guides is so true. Okay. Now, so that leads me to tell you. So it took me 10 years, 10, 12 years to write the henna artist and to uh, bring it to publication. I had to be patient with myself and I had to be persistent in making sure that I was doing the kinds of things that all these editors and my agent and everybody was telling me to do with the story. This will make the story better. Okay, this will make the story better. All right. Uh, You know, you need to change this in order to make the story better. So I listened to everybody and I did as much as they had asked me to do. 
Now, we fast forward to March the 10th, 2020, which was my release date for the henna artist. Well, guess what? The day after that, the World Health Organization said, hey, everybody, we're in a global pandemic and everybody needs to shelter in place. So businesses shut down, bookstores shut down, libraries shut down. And I just thought to myself, wait, my book just came out and I won't get to talk to anybody about it. Now, you know, you can look at that as something that happened to you. The pandemic happened to me. And so I am not going to be able to talk to anybody. But no, I think the pandemic happened for me. Because as it happened for me, what happened is that I reached out to social media and I said, you guys, you're on lockdown. I'm on lockdown. Would you please call me and have me talk about this book? You know, I am here. I'm available. I, I'm not one of one of those you know, people who's going to say, no, I'm a busy author. I don't have time. I'm not doing anything. Just call me. And they did. And so to date, I have talked to 543 book clubs in the last year and a half. And you know what? Those people tell other people and then they tell other people and those people call me up and and have a book club or a library event or some kind of a bookstore event with me. It has grown exponentially. So now in the last year and a half, I've talked to over 6,000 people just on virtual platforms. Isn't that amazing? That happened for me. That's to me. Yes, that's right. Wow. So it's like you took what was supposed to be some negative, you turned it into a positive because now you have 6,000 people that have listened to you. Right. Wow. Right. And, you know, I can't take full credit for that. I have to give so much credit to Reese Witherspoon because she came along and said, I love this book. I want to tell everybody about this book. And she did that in May of 2020. And as soon as she told people about this book, you know, she has more than a million followers and everybody's like, oh, what is this book about? Let me pick up this book. Let me see what this is about. I loved working with her people. Her staff was so wonderful. And we gave them all of this social media information to put on their platforms. And then they had me do all of these different videos. And so I got really good at doing videos for people, whether we were doing cooking videos or henna videos or whatever we were telling people how to do. It was so much fun. So there are people who will come along and help you at just the right time. You never know when they're going to be there, but you know what? Just keep on doing what you're doing and they will come around and help you. Yes. Absolutely. I agree 1000%. I mean, it's you just create the product and they will come, right? Yeah, you do. You do. And you created these two amazing books. And the third is on its way, which I, I believe it's 2023, which is an additional, it's a part of the sequel, right? It's a trilogy. So I'm looking forward to this. And, you know, who knew I was going to write a trilogy? I didn't know at the age of 20, 30, 40 that I would ever even write one book, much less three. So one has just led to another and that has led to the third. And I do want to encapsulate the trilogy that way. But who knows? Maybe I'll revisit some of these characters. You know, J.K. Rowling, after she wrote the whole Harry Potter series, she started writing little mini novellas about some of the characters, giving us some of their backstories. I might do that with some of these characters because I know them so well and I love them I just love them and I do too (laughs) I'm so excited oh my goodness amiga this is 
Amazing. And I don't want to put an end to this conversation, but I know you need to get to your day. Um, I always ask my guests if they could provide one or two tips on how an amiga can handle her shit. Can you tell us one? Yes. Always have an intention every single day, every single year. Have an intention for where you want to be by the end of the year. And work towards that. Even if every day it feels like you're not exactly making progress, believe me, if that is always the center of your mind every single day, then that intention will be realized. The second thing is you have to work hard. Nothing happens without hard work. We all know this, right, Jackie? We all know that nothing happens unless you are going to help make it happen. I am doing emails to every single person who writes to me. I write back to every DM on Instagram. I write back to every message that I get on Facebook. I write to everybody myself. And I also make sure that I respond to every book club, every library, every bookstore request. There is no substitute for hard work. You just have to put in the hours and things will start happening. So just always keep in mind what your intention is. Always work towards that intention and put in the hours that are necessary. I had this teacher who used to say, you know, we should make a T-shirt that says real writers don't go out. And I knew exactly what she was talking about. And I thought, you know, this is true. So while I was in my master's program, my younger co-students, my fellow students would say things like, oh, I'm going to that party later today. Or, you know, I'm going to Palm Springs this weekend and I'm just going to, you know, have a blast, blah, blah, blah. And I would think, how in the world do they have time to do that? Like I am working full time and I am going to school and I have homework. I have writing assignments. I have reading assignments. How do they get all of that done. And I realized they don't. So you may have to sacrifice the good times that you're used to if you're working really hard at your intention, but you just have to do it. Oh my God. I love those two tips. Oh my goodness. Intention and work hard. Absolutely. And amigas, I do have to say that she does respond to our emails. She did. She responded to my email and I thought, oh my God, this is crazy. I can't believe it. (laughs) This New York Times bestseller. Oh my God. She responded to my email. So Amiga's out there. Don't fret. You know, sometimes it's going to take us a long time to get where we want, but keep at it. Work hard. Have that intention in front of you. This is exactly what Alka is saying. So thank you so much. Uh, Gracias. Ah, muchas gracias. A ti, a because I'm so excited because this is going to be a telenovela, amigas. Hello. Watch the telenovelas. Buy the books. These are so amazing. And I'm going to put everything in the show notes. Wow. Thank you so much, Alka, for joining us here at, at Amiga Handle Your Shit Podcast. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Amiga Handle Your Shit Podcast. If anything resonates with you today, Please share it with your friends and subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. Don't forget to share it on Instagram, Facebook, and other social media platforms. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at www.amigahandleyourshit.com. Thank you so much for listening. Gracias y hasta la próxima.